Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast, the podcast dedicated to simplifying the commercial real estate industry for the masses. Each week, we sit down with industry experts to dissect the many facets of commercial real estate and extract valuable lessons you can apply to your business. Whether you're a new or seasoned business owner or investor, the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast will be your go-to resource for all your commercial real estate needs. Now, here are your hosts, Rafael Collazo and Jeff Walston. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Collazo, here with my co-host, Jeff Walston. How's it going, my friend? It's going great. Uh, enjoying this weather. I think we're coming into fall now, so Kentucky's definitely can't decide which way it's going with the weather and stuff, but uh, looking forward to this coming up weekend. What about you, Rafael? Yeah, same. I mean, the weather's been great recently. Um, I know that it's very limited, so I'm trying to take advantage of it as best I can. We're actually going to go check out the uh, the football game tomorrow. University of Louisville is going to be playing U- UCF, I believe, and so it should be a good uh, good game to go to. I'll get to connect with some people I haven't been able to connect with in a while, so it's going to be a good uh, good time. But yeah, speaking of great times, I mean, we really had a phenomenal guest today. His name is Maurice Philogene. Uh, he's the managing partner at Quattro Capital, as well as going to be soon retired army officer and police officer. I mean, he has just a wealth of experience in various different arenas and careers. And, you know, we had a lot of great conversation pertaining to time freedom and commercial real estate. Um, and just some of the, just to highlight some of the things that we talked about during the interview, we talked a lot about, you know, his background, what got him interested in commercial real estate and how he's been able to leverage his experience in the real estate space to now really have geographic and time freedom. He spends time, you know, in Cyprus and the Mediterranean, just bouncing around and hopping around with his family uh, and really being able to provide a unique life and lifestyle for his family, which is awesome. Uh, we also talked about different ways that they analyze opportunities, especially in the multifamily and mobile home park space and some of the, you know, their, their principles as it pertains to things that they want to accomplish with each and every investment. And then we talked a lot about, you know, the value of retaining your W-2 employment. This is something that a lot of, you know, gurus and other people in the real estate space out there don't necessarily talk about all the time. They say, oh, burn the bridges and jump ship and do it full time. But there actually is quite a bit of utility and value to be able to retain your W-2 job as you're going through the process of investing in real estate. And we talked about the reasons why that is. And overall, we talked at the end about, you know, where he sees the market going and some of the the best books that he's read on different topics that have really impacted his life. So uh, it really is a phenomenal episode that I think you guys will gain a ton of value from. Jeff, do you have anything you'd like to say? Just the values that I I commend from his experience and his diverse uh, work background and I'm excited for everybody else to to go through that journey of this podcast and and listen and 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 kind of learn and 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 it help, it helps you think, right? I mean, he's actually here, like you said, you, like you were saying, Raphael, that he goes on about his uh, time freedom and and all that. So it's a great great podcast, and I can't wait for you guys to take a listen. Definitely, no, I, I think you guys will gain a ton of value from it. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right in. Well, hey, Maurice, great to see you this morning. How's everything going in your neck of the woods? Everything is okay in sunny, kind of cloudy Washington, D.C. That's awesome. Prior to being commercial real estate, I was actually at, I had a big project in Washington, D.C., so I actually lived there for about a year and a half. So great city. I really enjoyed my time there. But well, first off, again, thank you for stopping by. I really do appreciate you 
coming by to share some insights with with the with the audience. So first off, what we usually like to do is learn a little bit more about the person that's across the table from us. So could you kind of share a little bit about yourself and explain a little bit what got you into commercial real estate? Uh, yes, freedom. You're going to hear me say that word a lot, freedom. It was never money for me. It was always a freedom thing. And I have earned my freedom and I'm very unapologetic about talking about it because I think we should, just like we don't talk about money, for some reason we don't talk about freedom and I'm trying to change the game on that. So as you said, my name is Maurice Villagin. I am an immigrant kid. My family's from Haiti actually, right? So I was born in New York, raised in Boston, live in DC now by way of University of Virginia. I like to start at the end. I'm in my mid forties now, 24 year senior executive at Accenture, which is a global consulting firm. I'm retiring in about 40 days, 15 year police officer. Long story, how I did that all at the same time. I'm retiring in 14 days, Uh, 22 year Lieutenant Colonel in the air force as a federal agent, think NCIS, but the air force equivalent, which is called OSI. I retired two years ago after 22 years. And then I got into real estate when I was 22 because I wanted freedom. I just didn't know what it was back then. And it led me to single family investing, paying those off over the years, having enough cash flow to be more than my income coming in from work. And I'll explain that. And I find myself in a position now where I'm unwilling to continue the regular nine to five, if you will, because everybody wants time freedom. And I've gotten myself to that position. So there's other things in life I need to focus on. So that's kind of where I am mentally and physically, if you will. That's awesome. No, and 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 the fact that you your diverse background, um, you know, you mentioned you're from Haiti. My family, primarily my dad's from Puerto Rico. So yeah. he was, you know, first generation within the United States, joined the Air Force as well. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic that you have. And as we'll dive into the rest of this podcast, I'm interested to see how, you know, your prior experience impacted your decision-making process when you approach the real estate problems that you're facing on a day-to-day basis. So it's awesome. Yeah, it really is. We appreciate your service on on Air Force and and, in law enforcement, for sure. There's a lot of respect for you guys, men and women out there that do that. So I know you spoke of single family, um, but I believe that you kind of jumped into like the multifamily aspect, mobile home parks. What drug you into that direction? And being in it commercial, why not go retail or industrial? Why did you pick multifamily mobile home parks? The easiest way to answer that is because it was just the next challenge. That's all. My first 20 years, uh, 20 years? No, first 15 years in the real estate game was all single family condos primarily because that's just what was taught to me when I was 21, 22. I happened to buy my first place. It appreciated rapidly because it was at the beginning of the 2000 boom cycle. So like 2003, I met a realtor who was in her seventies. She gave me awesome advice, which was, look, don't follow what everybody else does. Buy 12 dozen little places and pay them off as opposed to one gigantic $500,000 condo in DC or something. So I was buying these little things over the years and then intentionally using active income to pay them off over time. That got me to uh, 2014, where I got up to 35 homes. I paid off 18 of them. I had some equity in some and I had saved up money and all those types of things. I paid off 18 of them. But it goes to show you that you start to realize that money is not everything because I was grossing you know, six figures of passive 
well, if you got that, you can go sit on the beach and have my ties and stuff. Yeah, but that's not what life is at all. So I needed some kind of challenge and multifamily was just the next natural challenge. Now to your question about like, why not commercial or industrial or something? Because everybody will always need a place to live. And it was something that I was familiar with, right? I know tons of guys and gals who make money off of commercial strip malls, gas stations, things of that nature. But it just, it didn't resonate with who I was as a person and a personal mission like trying to help people. And if you're giving someone a quality place to live, that's helping people. For sure. And and again, like you said, it was kind of like a natural progression too, because you already understood a lot of the components of how people live in, in a single family home. So yeah. transitioning to a multifamily setting, it's it's more of at scale at that point. So that's pretty awesome to yeah, hear you say yeah. that. And also another thing that I'd like to point out, which is very interesting that you said that is, is the strategy of paying off properties. Cause I know a lot of investors out there that try to leverage to the hilt. And there are yeah. times where that may work out at one, when the economy is doing well, but in a situation where, you know, there's uncertainty in the economy and maybe there's an economic recession, if, especially if, if you don't have a fixed interest rate over a period of time, that could really hurt you. And so that's kind of what happened to a lot of people back in 2008 is that they had these. Yeah. One, my favorite book is Tim, Our, Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Workweek. Mm -hmm. To prove it, it's literally right here on my desk. This is the same book that I bought 12 years ago. It is uh, written up to the hilt with notes and all that stuff because I learned quickly the difference between relative income and absolute income. And the difference is if someone is working 100 hours a week and they're making $300,000 and someone is making 100000 a week and they're working 40 hours a week, I'd rather be the guy making $100,000 a week. It's relative income because that person has more time to go live life the way they want to do. So my thought process, even now, I had a sale of a property yesterday. We grow seven figures profit on that property. I personally benefited probably three, 400 grand. I have some notes that remain on some single families that I own. I'm going to pay them off. To your point, hey, why not take that money and invest it into another large multifamily? I could, but my personal agenda is to never have to say yes to anyone else in this world except for my parents and the Lord, right? If I pay those properties off just the way that I did for the rest of time, uh, just the way that I did at the beginning of time, I should say, I am in total control of my time. That's the fact. That's a fact. So when I did get to all those properties paid off, many people told me to sell them and leverage them and go buy the next thing. And I pushed back on that because if I had 150 grand coming in passive, what are you talking about? Like, what is, what is it that you're trying to accomplish by going to get the larger and larger and larger thing if your basic needs aren't covered? So my thing was always to cover basic needs first, and that's why I paid everything off. All right, so now I have this large lump of properties that are paid off, which probably are like 190 or 200 grand in passive income at the moment. I will never leverage them. I will never touch them. I will never do anything to them except for improve the quality of it for the residents. Because if all hell breaks loose in the multifamily racket or any other employment or whatever, my basic needs are always covered. And that is the mistake I think people make or the oversight is always thinking that bigger is better. Folks don't focus on their basic needs because once you have that met, then you can build from there and do anything that you want. And lastly, in my case, and I'm very motivated about this for this statement, 
my basic needs are covered. That means anything else that I make going forward belongs to my family legacy or society. I don't need anything else. Like I'm totally covered, right? So these large deals that I do now, they belong to my kids or their kids in the future, or I'm giving back to society one way or the other. But I was smart to cover my basic needs over time. 100,000%. I think that's a very important topic to discuss. And I'm glad you shared your insights with that. Because like I said, I, I've met a lot of people out there that don't take that approach. And they're always worried about, you know, the next bill that's coming in, in particular when, right. when times are tough, you know, and, and, and life is ups, is full of ups and downs. You, you cannot sure. predict with 100% certainty that in 30 years, you're going to be in the same economic position as you were today. But if you do pay off all the properties that you have or whatever else, you have that cushion, you have that baseline. Right. And then from there, it's just, you know, the sky's the limit at that point. And, and time is, is, is the key there, time flexibility. And that, that's what you're buying yourself. There are, there are freedom principles that I speak on all the time, financial freedom, time freedom, geographic freedom, purpose. I wouldn't be a police officer otherwise, because that's not something you just do for the money and relationships. Um, that time freedom is huge. Once that was covered, I was good. But I did, in 2008, you know, we had the huge economic downturn. I paid the price. I probably should have filed bankruptcy, but I didn't. And I fought through it and I made it through. But what it taught me was, what is the purpose of having assets if the market, you know that the market's going to shift every seven to 10 years. I went through it. So what I'm doing now is preparing for the next shift and it will come, but all my assets will be paid. So if somebody moves out this time, because I had 50% of my tenants stop paying back in 2008. It was harsh. And I had 150 grand of um, reserves. You can imagine how fast I blew through that, right? But that will never happen again. So family's covered, kids are covered, my parents are covered when they need me to take care of stuff. And then from there, I will, I will build. Um, I think folks forget the purpose of real estate and purpose of investing is to secure your life first and then go do all the flossing stuff. I love that you mentioned, you know, when you send the basic needs that are met and you actually put in your parents in that equation that it's, oh, yeah. uh, a lot of people don't, don't put that in, in the equation when, you know, they, they get at the, the age that they, they're going to need help. And as kids to parents that we, we owe that to them. And so I commend right. you for that. Thanks, man. I, I mean, we wouldn't have anything without them. Right. It's a Correct. cycle. Yeah. Um, and on the parent note, I just posted something on LinkedIn yesterday, which, or two days ago, which was very personal to me, but people really appreciate it. Where I said, my father, I was having a discussion with my father on Monday. I, my dad retired from being a 35 year educator of the Boston school system as a principal. And he was a teacher before. Well, he retired at 63 with a pension. Okay. That 35 years, that, that is just a long time to work. Yeah. He was happy at the time. Now he's 73. And I asked him, you know, how he feels about that. He said, no, if I could have retired at 50, I would have, I should have took the early retirement because I'm older. There are things that I want to do that I just cannot do. So I said, dad, you know, I'm retiring now, retiring, whatever that really means, but yeah. I'm leaving all these nine to fives now at 46. That's 17 years earlier than my father. Right. So from a legacy perspective, like you're talking about, Jeff, my eight-year-olds who just ran out, he's going to be done by 30, not done working. That's lazy. I mean, done yeah. where he has choices to whatever he wants to do. They gave us everything. We have to give back all these skills and techniques and tactics that we've learned as well. So, of course, you got to take care of them. 
That's definitely great. So on the yeah. note of on the note of looking at different opportunities, because now you're 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 actively looking for yeah. you know new multifamily opportunities, potentially mobile home park opportunities as well. What type mm -hmm. of criteria do you look at when you're analyzing some of these opportunities? Is it more geographic? Is it you know uh, you know age, et cetera? What what exactly do you guys usually look for? Yeah. So there's um. So to be clear, so I'm part of I founded with four other partners, Quattro Capital, that started in late 2019. We've done. I think we're on our 17th complex in 20 months. That's a lot, but it's been very, very organic. Um, we're at about 100 million of assets in the last 12 months once we close on the two properties we have in the pipeline now. We are strictly, not strictly, we are at value investors. I love that space because it meets my mission of helping people, right? So you're taking older properties, C-class properties in markets that are going to be emerging. You are improving them because they were built in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. They have old finishes. People deserve to live in a better quality of life apartment or, or townhome, if you will. We improve those such that we can get great returns for our investors. And then we give better quality of life to the residents. And then we walk away with a significant payment for, for value. I don't want to say for anything. It's for, for value. But here's the catch. I never want to be part of a deal where we are raising the rent without value or we're raising the rent to a point where the existing tenancy can't afford it. That's problematic. It's happened to me one time. I'll never be part of that again. But that's what we look for is great opportunities and great markets, especially tertiary, where we can grab it, pay for it, improve it, make the neighborhood better, make it safer. People are happy to stay and potentially move on to the next if it makes sense. But so far, we like to hold on to them. And it's nice to hear you say that as well, because I, I mean, as you know, I mean, around the country right now, multifamily is extremely hot and there's a lot yeah. of money coming in from other parts of the country. We're, we're located here in Louisville, Kentucky, and we're getting people investing in Tennessee or from Tennessee, New York, people, money coming in from everywhere. And what typically sure. happens is you see some of these people or these, these investors acquire these properties and then jack up the rents to, you know, what they perceive to be market, where yeah. in reality, it's, it's hard, really tough for the tenant base to be able to support that. And we're getting to a point now where, you know, the market rate as, as it's, as it stands right now, in my opinion, is somewhat unsustainable. And I'm sure that's happening in a lot of different markets across the country. So it's nice to hear you yeah. say that, you know, cause that, that, that's true. I mean, you're trying to serve the tenancy. I mean, that's, that's essentially what landlords are is, is being able to serve those tenants. Absolutely. And it's not fair to them, even if they can afford it, it's not fair. It's just not fair. You know, if you're going to jump the rents $300 and let's say they can afford it and the chances are they can, or may, maybe not, but if, even if they can afford, it's still a jarring change to people's lives. It's not like, oh yeah, I got it right away. They are now taking $300 away from maybe their kids or their ability to get around town or something like that. Anyways, you, you have to do it in a way that is respectful of people's right to live and all those types of things. And that's, that's kind of what we, that's where we look for opportunities of like, where can we be part of somebody's success? Yeah. So let's say that you analyze an opportunity and you're thinking about going in on the deal. Yep. What would you say would be like the most effective strategy to say, if you're going to raise capital for that particular deal, could you walk through maybe a, something that you've yeah. done or just what you think is the most effective? The effective way to raise the capital you said? Yeah. Yeah. The for the particular deal. The yeah. Yeah. You know, to me, it's all the story. It's, it's the compelling story. We are all humans and humans like a good story and get connected to a good story. 
So for example, a complex that we closed in Tennessee, yep, it's in Tennessee, in Clarksville area, right? There were people living on the second level of a complex that had no ability for, no um, handicap access ability, yet she was in a wheelchair. What the hell is that? If you can express a story like that where the, the investor knows that they are legitimately going to be helping someone's quality of life improve, that makes them feel good, right? I, I remember, well, I interviewed uh, Hunter Thompson uh, several months ago, uh, and he kind of talked about that exact same story where it's like, you know, creating a story that is compelling to someone else. Again, yeah. especially if it has, if it aligns with their values, I mean, it could, that, that could be the, the difference between being able to raise the, the fund or raise the money to be able to purchase these properties versus not. Sure. So I think sure. it's a great insight. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, which I know you're a big proponent of is, can you tell us a little bit about why did you decide to keep your W2 job as oh. you're going through the process of investing in real estate? Because, you know, you hear a lot of people out there, a lot of gurus are saying, well, just jump ship and go, go for it and, and just leave your <laughs> W-2 job. Like I would, I would love to hear your insights on that. Because life is not about money. If I had a mic, I'd drop it because I think that's fair. <laughs> but, but listen, if you read Adam Grant's book, The Originals, 33% of businesses are more likely to be successful if one of the founders is still in an active paid job. Okay. When I started the real estate racket, um, I was working for the consulting firm and already in the military. I was doing both at the same time. And as I started to acquire single family condos, I also started to notice that I was paying them off faster because I had active income coming in, okay? And even when I got to 2014, where my passive income was far exceeding my work salary, I still had personal life goals that that active income was acting like lighter fluid in terms of getting to those goals, right? That's the first thing. I don't. I, I think in certain cases it does make sense for people to burn the burn the boats, if you will. In my case, it it didn't. I enjoyed learning all the skills I learned from consulting and from IT development and from working with clients all over the world. I love still to this day being a police officer. I'm struggling mentally leaving it. I don't. I don't. It's going to be a tough tough thing for me to uh, turn that car in that's outside two weeks two weeks from now. Um, but, you know, in answer to your question is, like, the purpose of being on this planet is well beyond you making the most amount of money possible. There may be ways you want to give back to society and community through your work, building skills, um, giving, you know, giving back to local community. I don't know. So I don't always think that's the right thing for everybody. And it wasn't for me. And thank, you know, actually, I'm glad that I didn't. Because here I sit, 46. I'm in total control of all of it. I've had these three work streams where I have all this experience under. You even said it. You're like, wow, man, you have a diverse background. That is very different from me just saying, yeah, I've been a real estate investor since I was 21. I have visited 100 countries, have connections all over the world, have served the U.S. and uh, foreign citizens in different countries all over the planet, Africa, the Mideast, Europe. What, what is your book going to say when you finish on this planet, right? So I wanted to do all that stuff as much as I can. And lastly, even though I'm in the real estate game and that is my primary thing, I'm now doing international real estate development in the Mediterranean, not because for the money, because clearly I'm fine doing the syndication stuff here, but because I needed a new challenge of like, 
You got to learn a new skill. You got to be around different people. I don't know how to register the land deeds in that particular country, but now I'm going to learn and make new contacts and stuff. Like, man, it's the, who says it, Vaynerchuk and all those guys. It's the process. It is the experience of what you're going through. So it was worth all those sleepless nights for me having those multiple careers. And I would never, never, never change it. But that's just me. It doesn't mean that it's right for everybody. No, I mean, I think I think you speak very well to it. And, and, and I think part of it is the different perspective you gain from having those different careers. Before I got yeah. into commercial real estate, I was, in, I was an engineer by trade. So I was right. a software developer and consultant, and I worked on various different projects across the country and even abroad. So that mindset and that, that, those experiences that I had have directly impacted my, my new venture within commercial real estate. So, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So like the, the, the experiences that you had both in the consulting side, on the military, and, the, and, and as an officer, I'm sure has had a huge impact on your ability to best serve your investors and really help you in all these different areas of your life. Yep. And my favorite word in life is empathy. I have empathy for everyone. I have worked no collar, blue collar, white collar. I can brief a four-star general. I can give advice to a CEO. And I can also sit on the curb with a homeless man having a mental health crisis. Like that breadth of experience. And then I grew up in the hood, but I'm financially capable at this point, right? Like that breadth of experience as a person just makes you better and makes you able to connect with people in a unique way. My entire investor base for Quattro, or our entire investor base, I should say, White collar folks, blue collar folks, cops, newbies who've never invested in anything, extremely well-to-do family offices. It runs the gamut, but I have the ability to connect on every level because I've had all those experiences. So you said you started when you were 20, 21, 22, around there uh, yep. investing. Um, where do you see the housing market going? I know uh, in the next several years, all these uh experts have been putting in their tally of where it's going to go or how they see it going to go and bringing in politics to this thing and um and you spoke with the seven eight you know roller coaster uh can you elaborate on where you think that will go well there is a housing shortage right now right there's there is a shortage in the united states of some five million units that the u.s needs to house it's just normal citizenry so we are in a position where there is serious demand, especially for multifamily, but especially for workforce housing, multifamily. That's, that's the first thing. Secondly, I think the financial market got a little bit smarter after the, after the crisis of 08. Back then, they were doing silly things like no documentation loans. I benefited from that, but no documentation loans and frankly, putting loans out there that people should never have had. So it contributed to the market imploding. That stuff is not happening anymore. From our general market research, when we go look for emerging markets and what have you, salaries are starting to outpace rents again, meaning people are starting to get paid more money uh, and the rents are not necessarily keeping up. So that maybe they're making 80,000, but they're only paying $700,000, excuse me, $700 a month. Those rents are gonna, right now, they can slowly creep up in a healthy way which means the housing market is very, very healthy. Um, the only way it gets crazy is if something happens with the financial industry again, or people start getting ridiculous with their personal finances again. I don't, I don't see that. It should have happened during the COVID crisis. Uh, what happened during the COVID crisis was jobs got pulled, but in general, the government kind of stepped in 
not to the benefit of property owners like myself, because that really hurt us in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, for the next five to seven years, I really think we're in a very healthy cycle. But history shows every seven to 10 years, maybe seven to 12, there is some kind of bust cycle and it will happen just a matter of when and how. Now, to hedge against that, Jeff, that's why we stick to workforce housing. I don't do, I'm not interested in A-class at all. I'm interested in where homes are affordable, where in general people can pay the freight. Even during COVID, our entire portfolio only saw a 1% to 2% vacancy dip as a result of COVID. That's because we stay in the areas where people need those homes. You get into disposable income, people paying two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 a month, and things will change. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And, and like you said, there's a huge demand for workforce housing across the nation. I mean, here in Louisville, it's, it's, it's amazing that, the, I mean, the demand, and it, it's hard to get filled right now, particularly because of the supply chain issues that a lot of developers are facing yeah. um, and, and, you know, issues with sourcing the material and materials being at astronomically high rates. So um, I'm interested to see how it all plays out. My, my only main concern is, you know, everyone's talking about inflation. I don't know if it's going to happen to the level at which people are projecting, but you know, that, that's definitely a real potential risk going forward is that, you know, the dollar that you receive from your employer may or may not be the same two years from now as it is today. Yeah. So I just want to say on that topic real quick on the whole inflation topic, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time in the, in the Mediterranean. One of the places is Lebanon. Sure. The first time I went there was November of 2019. I've been there 15 times since then. The dollar there, the Lebanese pound has devaluated by by 20 just in in a year i mean it's unreal so where i would buy i would always buy this liter of green juice like fresh green juice it was three bucks and the last time i went it was 60 dollars. 60 like i don't know how you can't live that way I, now i only give that example to suggest a lot of other dynamics going on there to cause that issue okay but it's very real very real to the four million people who live there we print money in this country like it's Paper. I mean, that's a, that's a pun, right? We just print it. At some point, I don't know when this fiat money is going to blow up. It's going to blow up, in my opinion, at some point. That is why anytime I make a U.S. dollar, it gets invested in some level of real asset somewhere. Something that people place value on. Because if people start shifting their value of the U.S. dollar or, or just stop believing in it and they go to Bitcoin or they go to something else, you better have your money in something that people place value on. There is so much U.S. currency in this world right now. It's just being propped up by fake debt. That is concerning. The U.S. needs money. It just prints another trillion. It, that's not going to last forever. Something's got to give with that. Yeah, I mean, it's because we're, we're, the, we're the reserve currency. So we, we have that luxury. But at a certain point, like you said, the debtors outside of the United States are going to see their, gonna their, see their notes devaluing. And they're going to be like, OK, well, why would I ever right. want to continue to buy you know, these U.S. bonds from you if every time I buy them, you know, you're paying me back with devalued currency. So right. there's obviously, you know, some some risks there. But I think talking about inflation is 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 extremely important. It's 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 good to hear a lot of people in the space kind of vo voice their concern because it is a very real concern. And I, I hope that going forward, we we take a more conservative approach to printing money. And then yeah. from there, even potentially trying to address the debt that we are currently in. So absolutely. Uh, Awesome. So one of the things we like to ask our guests, um, kind of switching gears, is yeah. what is the most favorite or what is the most impactful book that you've ever read? And obviously you kind of referenced to it a little bit earlier. I don't know if that's the same book or. Yep, that's the one. You know the book. 
I would assume. Yeah. Okay. I read it. I've read it. What Tim was talking about in that book, it's not that he was advocating to work four hours a week. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying was you can outsource things that you don't need to be doing. You can automate not only your business, you can automate your personal life. There is a difference Another fact that I kind of, I, I perceived it from his book, but I solidified it somewhere else. Every business is $100 or one employee away from imploding. Like a business, is, especially lifestyle businesses, kind of what we do in the real estate space. We take it to this level where it becomes this big monstrous thing. It's taking a life of its own. What the four-hour work week taught me was to know, to always keep it automated, always keep it light. I don't receive mail anywhere. It all comes to Earth Class Mail, which is one of the resources I was going to mention later. Because at any moment's notice, when we finish this call right now, I can grab my computer, grab my phone over there, and grab my carry-on bag and get on a plane and go to Cyprus, where I normally am. And I can be there for four or five months without my home life skipping a beat, right? That was what this book was about, like making things such that you can experience life the way that it's intended to give you time freedom, because we're, we were not put on this planet to just exist. We were put on this planet to thrive and to experience everything it has to offer. And that's why I love this book, because it just kind of showed like, yeah, titles, titles don't give you happiness. Fre freedom of time that allows you to go experience things, because we are creatures by nature who need new things and new relationships to grow as people, right? That's why we were so happy in high school, grade school, college. Everything was new. We get into the work world and then we're like, we're just repeating over and over, but it's because we don't have time. So everything in here was about automating your life, outsourcing everything that you don't need, getting rid of junk. I'm kind of a minimalist at heart, if you will. Um, I still haven't bought a new car at 46 years old because I just never needed it. I'm always doing other stuff. That is my favorite book by far because it helped me focus on how to get the most out of this planet while we're on it. That's awesome. Yeah, and and one of the the most impactful things that I learned about as it pertains to time freedom is, you know, the the dollar. I mean, obviously a dollar is a form of currency, but it really dictates how you you prefer to spend your time. So if you, you by yeah, you yeah. buying something, you're 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 allocating value that says this is how I'd prefer to spend my time. So when you when you look at it from that perspective, every time you you spend money on something, you are allocating some form of time or or, or or dedication to it. So that's the type of mentality you have to take to everything you do. So would you rather spend money on a Netflix account or would you rather spend money on, you know, just wasting away your time towards something else? Or would you rather allocate those funds to experiencing life, everything that it has to offer? Because right. like, like you, I'm a huge traveler. I've been to 40 countries. I, yeah, I, I was born outside it. of the, yeah, I was born outside of the United States. You know, I've traveled a lot in my lifetime. And uh, let me tell you from those experiences, I'm a different person, like a completely yeah. different person. And I'm able to apply all the lessons that I learned from being outside of the United States and really all across the world towards just being a more effective individual. So I love it, man. And um, one more point from that book, if you can decouple your ability to make money from you having to physically be in one location, your money is worth three to 10 times more. So when I do go to uh, Cyprus and Lebanon and Turkey and Greece next week or the week after, depending on where I am, my dollar is worth nine, I don't know, anywhere from five times to 20 times what it's worth here. 
that is huge. And I'm not spending my time sitting in a car on the DC Beltway two hours a day trying to get to an office where I'm then going to spend $25 at lunch and then $30 at happy hour. It's just a different mindset type of thing. And I encourage people to kind of get into it because we get into this rhythm of this rat race that we do and we're, we're missing time and we're wasting our financial resource. That's how I feel about it. Ge- geohacking. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know Tim was, I think he went to somewhere in South America and he was making like, I, I, I remember referencing in the book, he was in somewhere in South America or something. He was he in was Argentina. Making, like, in Argentina. He Argentina, geohacking. He went mm-hmm. down there to immerse for several months to learn tango and then was making like 50 grand a month. And someone actually told him, uh, you can start this other company. You should be making more. And he's like, what? I make 50 grand a month. Like what, how much more do you think that I need to enjoy the planet? You know what I mean? So I don't know. People's minds are skewed on what success and what happiness is. Absolutely. I did about 18 months central and South America, uh, building dental Ah. labs. So that, that helped out just as an American alone, just getting out of your own country to see the, the world and how things work to, to, um, enjoy and understand that like the happiness and freedom that, that we actually have here in this country. Uh, yeah. So to, to go on the point with both you and Raphael, I mean, going to different countries definitely helps a lot when it comes to getting your mindset right and, and, and know what happiness truly is in life. So Big time. to start rounding off the, the interview here, there's this uh, CRE treasure chest. It's a repository of things that uh, we like to ask our, our guests to contribute to, to help out. It's a, it's basically a free uh, repository of uh, information that uh, tools or such that our viewers and listeners can actually utilize as they uh, see fit. So, is there anything that you'd like to sure. add to that that you can oh, think of? And I'll be quick about it, but there's three things, and I think it would be very helpful for people. One, Earth Class Mail. There are many competitors. I'm not endorsing Earth Class, it's just what I've used. I learned it from Tim Ferriss, and I just picked it up. But all my business mail, personal mail is all automated. It just comes to a PO box, gets scanned, sits there. I look at mail once a month. I'm saving probably 15 hours a month not dealing with mail. Earth class mail, amazing. If I get checks, it's it's automated. It can sense that there's a check there and it will route it to my bank um, and it'll get deposited. Everything I, everything I do is such that I can leave for four months. That's That's the rule. It's gotta be automated. All right, so that's the first tool. The second tool is Slack. You, you've probably heard of Slack. It's a, it's a messaging tool. But on the real estate side, what's been interesting for Quattro Capital is that we use it as a means to communicate about acquisitions and existing asset management. Things get lost in email, especially when you have as many units as we do, right? Um, so we have channels on Slack for each thing. So we'll have a channel for property A, a channel for property B, we have a channel right now for our Dalton, Georgia, $25 million acquisition where we're talking about what investors need or um, what the property manager is saying about the business plan because I cannot keep up with that stuff in email. But if I don't look at a Slack channel for five days and then I go back and I read the history, I'm totally caught up. So Slack has been a game changer. And then the last tool I wanted to throw out there was Loom, L-O-O-M. Again, automation and time freedom. I do not want to sit on 38 meetings virtually. I don't have time because I, now I want to go live extremely well, right? What you can do with Loom is let's say, um, Raphael, that I got to teach you something or I have to explain something to you about the investor database or something like that. 
I can flip Loom on, turn on the video, and while I'm showing you what I need to show you in the tool or in the spreadsheet or something, it records, and you'll see me talking as I'm demonstrating the issue. So instead of me and you going on a Zoom call for 30 minutes, I can just do that quick Loom video for two minutes and email it to you. Everything is automation, efficiency, outsourcing, getting rid of the stuff on your desk, right? So those are three tools I can add to the pot. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and, and I'll advocate for Loom too. There's this book called High Output Management. The founder of, I believe it was HP, wrote this book. And, and one of the premises of the book is like, if you can video record yourself and teach someone something, you're essentially replicating yourself across a spectrum because That's now right. it's like you can you can literally send that video or whatever to someone else and you know instead of you being there and recording and talking to someone a hundred times you can literally send it to one person that could project it to a hundred people therefore you're you're separated from that time requirement so i think it's a phenomenal uh tool and i advocate for that as well that's awesome all right so first off thank you so much maurice for stopping by we really yeah. do appreciate your time uh, you know, you provide a lot of great insights uh, to, to the audience, and I know they'll gain a lot of value from it. So as far as people being wanting to learn more about you, Quattro Capital, reach out, how, how, how would you recommend they do so? Well, real estate is, is a portion of my life. It is not my life. We're, we're here on this planet to, to, do, to live extremely well. So the first place is Instagram. By far, I'm talking about travels and all these countries I go to and why I go there and lifestyle, lifestyle design. That's like my true passion actually is lifestyle design, helping people get out of the W2 rat race. So Instagram is just Maurice Philogene. Um, LinkedIn, I'm very vocal, um, mainly about financial freedom, real estate, um, helping people orient their active income to getting into assets that will pay you passive later. So LinkedIn is Maurice Philogene. Facebook as well, Maurice Philogene, don't use it as much. And then Quattro Capital is my company. It's the Quattro Way, Q-U-A-T-T-R-O Way, W-A-Y.com, in reference to how we do business, which is people, people, property, profits. And then we do a lot with philanthropy. So we have those four pillars. So you can check out Quattro Capital as well. And then lastly, I love to communicate with people. Uh, of all the five, six, seven hundred people that have reached out as a result of podcasts and other things, I've talked to all of them. I think we are all doing the same thing or all trying to reach our own level of freedom or happiness or success, what it is. And we're, we're literally on the same team. We should be sharing ideas. So I encourage folks to reach out and I'll reach right back out. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'll include that in the show notes below. So if you're listening to this on an Apple podcast format, it's going to be in the description. If you're watching this on YouTube, it'll also be in the description as well. So awesome. Thank you so much, Maurice. We really appreciate your time. If you guys are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you could drop a five-star review and kind of share a little bit about what you want to hear next. If you're watching this on YouTube, same applies. Give us a like and subscribe to the channel. It really helps with the YouTube algorithm and ensures more and more people can hear this message. So thank you all for stopping by and we'll see you all next time.